Greetings folk, my name is Nick Engel, and today I'm going to read out of a book by K.P. Johannan entitled Revolution in World Missions. K.P. writes um, a dedication in the front of the book which goes as follows. This book is dedicated to George Verver, founder and former international director of Operation Mobilization or OM whom the Lord used to call me into the ministry and whose life and example have influenced me more than any other single individuals. I just want to say something about people who recognize other people. So it's always great to see um, people recognizing those that have influenced them rather than taking the credit for themselves. So credit to KP4. Recognizing George River's influence in his life. Um, I'm going to read the foreword now to this book. We all are skeptical of Christians with big dreams. We don't know why exactly. Perhaps we have met too many who pursued visions but whose personal lives were nightmares. I also just want to say something here. No person is perfect. so And this holds true for KPO and as well as anybody else. So, um, yeah, I think it's important for us to be gracious towards people. Recognize their strengths. Recognize that they are human beings. Learn from them. Draw from them where we can. But not expect them to be 100% like Jesus. Because we are all works in progress and I think that's really important um, for us to remember. Let's read on in the forward. The first time we remember meeting KP Johannan we brought him home for dinner and our family dragged this slight Indian along with us to a high school gymnasium to sit through an American rite of passage an all school spaghetti supper. Across the paper tablecloth, the garlic bread and the centerpieces, shellacked lunch sacks filled with an assortment of dried weeds and pasta created by members of the Maine's family. We heard of a dream to win not only India but all of Asia for Christ. There's a proverb that says, He who winneth souls is wise. So KP is definitely endeavoring to fulfill scripture with his heart and his vision there to have all of Asia one for Christ. Big vision. Let's read on. Since that evening in the noisy gymnasium in West Chicago, Illinois, there have been many more shared experiences, phone calls from Dallas, trips to the cities and backwaters of India, pastors' conferences in open-thatched, roofed, bamboo-sided pavilions, laughter, travel on two-thirds world roads, and times of prayer. Very simply said, we have come to believe in KP, and we believe in his plan for evangelization that with the profundity of simplicity, bypasses the complexity of technology and challenges Asians to give up their lives to win their fellow countrymen to 
Christ. This book, Revolution in World uh, Missions, reveals one of God's master plans to reach the world before the end of time. With absolute confidence, we know we can endorse the integrity of its author, a man of God, and we are thrilled with the work of Gospel for Asia. You can read knowing that the that those evangelists traveling into the unreached villages of Asia have more heart, more fervor, more passion to spread the gospel of Christ than most of us who are surrounded by the comforts and conveniences of our Western world. I just want to say something about that, that I think it is great to have um, those evangelists, um, local evangelists reaching out. But with that, I also think cross-cultural missions is also still important and meaningful. I was having a discussion uh, this evening with Dave Skinner of OM, Operation Mobilization, and he was also speaking of the value of the cross-cultural missions, and I think it's so true. You know, sometimes we do need to get rid of our comforts and cross over, and um, so I think it's both and, both local missions, missionaries and international missionaries. That's my personal view, but let's read on. We know because we have seen them and talked with them, and they have put us to shame. Internationals are the new wave of the missionary effort. K.P. Yonan's book paints the picture of how that dream is becoming reality. This is one dream of whom we are no longer skeptical. We think you will find reason to believe as well. David and Karen Maines. I'm now going to read K.P.'s introduction to the book, his own book. This is the story of my journey from a small Indian village to the shores of Europe and North America and from colonial missions to a move of God among national missionaries across the globe. It is my own personal story full of the difficulties I had to overcome and God's amazing provision each step along the way. He is so very faithful. Missions as it is today is not as it has always been. In the 1980s, most evangelical Christians in the West viewed mission history in terms of two great waves. The first wave broke over the New Testament world as the apostles obeyed the Great Commission. The second wave began around the time of William Carey's pioneer work in 18th century India. And in the 19th and 20th centuries, there was a flood of missionaries to the colonies of the great European powers. I just want to say something about William Carey. He's one of my all-time Missionary heroes as well. He's become largely known as the father of modern missions. And he, I mean, he, they've worked for 17 years to prepare and create um, dictionaries and grammars and Bibles. And their work of 17 years was destroyed in a fire, the whole lot, together with account books and 
all sorts of other stuff. And um, they built up more than double after that fire. That was William Carey and his team. Um, William Carey said, I can plod, I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this I owe everything. Um, so we can learn a lot. I can learn a lot from, from William Carey. But let's read on in K.P. Yohanan. Now around the world today, the Holy Spirit is moving over Asian and African nations. Raising up thousands of dedicated men and women to take the story of salvation to their own people. Millions of lost souls in closed countries are hearing for the first time about the love of God through these national missionaries. They are humble, obscure pioneers of the gospel, taking up the banner of the cross where colonial era missions left off. This work of the Holy Spirit among these national believers is the third wave of missionary history, the indigenous missionary movement. What does this mean for us? It is an incredible challenge before us to join in this end time harvest and to link our hearts with what God is doing across the world. There's a cry to run forward and make our life count. I believe we will see this generation reached for Christ. We are serving one king and one kingdom. May this book serve to bring greater unity and cooperation among all God's people as we seek to obey His will together. I love that um, about bringing unity and cooperation among all God's people. And I've got my margin there an arrow to John 17 and the word unity, which John 17 was Jesus's high priestly prayer where he's praying for us to be one, us as believers to be one as, as Jesus and the Father are one. In verse 23 it says, I pray that they may be one that the world may believe. So our missionary evangelistic efforts and success of winning souls is contingent upon our Christian unity. How can they see and feel and believe in God's love if we don't love one another? I just want to pray a moment. Father, I just pray that us as Christians will be able to love one another as you have loved us, Lord, and that we will love our neighbor as ourselves, that you will give us a love for all mankind. We thank you that you loved the world so much that you gave your son father thank you jesus that you gave your life and your blood thank you holy spirit that you were part of that together with the father and the son giving and empowering we just bless you lord i pray that you touch each person listening here right down the name of jesus we open our hearts and our arms to you right now thank you lord Amen. Okay, I'm going to read chapter 1, entitled, Only the Beginning. The silence of the great hall in Cochin was broken only by soft, choking sobs. The Spirit of God was moving over the room with awesome power. 
convicting of sin and calling men and women into his service. Before the meeting ended, 120 of the 1,200 pastors and Christian leaders present made their way to the altar, responding to the call of the north. They were not saying, I'm willing to go, but rather, I am going. They made the choice to leave home, village and family, business or career and go where they would be hated and feared. Meanwhile, another 600 pastors pledged to return to their congregations and raise up more missionaries who would leave South India and go to the north. I stood silently in the holy hush, praying for the earnest pastors crowded around the altar. I was humbled by the presence of God. As I prayed, my heart ached for these men. How many would be beaten and go hungry or be cold and lonely in the years ahead? How many would sit in jails for their faith? I prayed for the blessing and protection of God on them and for more sponsors across the seas to stand with them. They were leaving material comforts, family ties and personal ambitions. Ahead lay a new life among strangers, but I also knew they would witness spiritual victory as many thousands turned to Christ and helped form new congregations in the unreached villages of North India. With me in the meeting was U.S. Christian radio broadcaster David Maines, a serious student of revival. He had joined us in Cochin as one of the conference speakers. He later testified how the Lord had taken over the meeting in a most unusual way. It would hardly be have been different, he wrote later, had Jesus himself been bodily among us. The spirit of worship filled the hall the singing was electrifying. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon the audience. Men actually groaned aloud. I have read of such conviction in early American history during times like the two great awakenings, but I had never anticipated experiencing it firsthand. But the Lord is not simply calling out huge Numbers of national workers. God is at work saving people in numbers we never before dreamed possible. People are coming to Christ all across Asia at an accelerated rate wherever salvation is being proclaimed. In some areas like India, Malaysia, Myanmar and Thailand, it is not uncommon now for the Christian community to grow as much in only one month as it formerly did in a whole year. Reports of mass conversion and church growth are being underplayed in the Western press. The exciting truth about God's working in Asia has yet to be told, partly because the press has limited access. Except in a few countries like Korea and the Philippines, the real story is not getting out. Typical of the many indigenous missionary movements that have sprung up overnight is the work of a brother from South India, a former former military officer who gave up a commission and army career to help start a gospel team in North India. 
He now leads more than 400 full-time missionaries. Like other indigenous missionary leaders, he has discipled 10 Timothys who are directing the work in almost military precision. Each of them in turn will be able to lead dozens of additional workers who will have their own disciples. With his wife, he set an apostolic pattern for their workers, similar to that of the Apostle Paul. On one evangelistic tour that lasted 53 days, he and his family traveled by bullock cart and foot into some of the most backward areas of the tribal districts of Orissa State. There, working in the intense heat among people whose lifestyle was extremely primitive, he saw hundreds come to know the Lord. Throughout the journey, demons were cast out and miraculous physical healings took place daily. Thousands of their of their of the tribals who were enslaved to idols and spirit worship heard the gospel eagerly. In just one month he formed fifteen new churches and assigned national missionaries to stay behind and build them up in the faith. Similar miraculous movements are starting in almost every state of India and throughout the other nations of Asia. National missionary Jesu Das was horrified when he first visited one village and found no believers there. The people were all worshipping hundreds of different gods and four priests controlled them through witchcraft. Stories were told of how these priests could kill people's cattle with witchcraft and destroy their crops. People were suddenly taken ill and died without explanation. The destruction and bondage the villagers were living in are hard to imagine. Scars, decay and death marked their faces because they were today totally controlled by the powers of darkness. When Jesu Dash told them about Christ, it was the first time they ever heard of a God who did not require sacrifices and offerings to appease his anger. As Jesu Das continued to preach in the marketplace, many people came to know the Lord. But the priests were outraged. They warned Jesu Das that if he did not leave the village, they would call on their gods to kill him, his wife, and their children. Jesu Das did not leave. He continued to preach, and the villagers continued to be saved. Finally, after a few weeks, the witch doctors came to Jesu Das and asked him the secret of his power. This is the first time our power did not work, they told him. After doing the pujas, we asked the spirits to go and kill your family, but the spirits came back and told us they could not approach you or your family because you were always surrounded by fire. Gee, that's interesting. Then we called more powerful spirits to come after you, but they too returned, saying not only were you surrounded by fire, but angels were also around you all the time. Jesu Das told them about Christ. The Holy Spirit convicted each of them of their sin of following demons and of the judgment to come. With tears they repented and received Jesus Christ as Lord. As a result, hundreds of other villagers were set free from sin and bondage. Through an indigenous organization in Thailand, there were sorry, where more than two hundred national missionaries are doing pioneer village evangelism. One group personally shared their faith with ten thousand 
see the, the budgies are getting excited about people sharing their faith. Yeah, that's good. With 10,463 people in two months, one of these, 171 gave their lives to Christ. Sorry, of these, 171 gave their lives to Christ and six new churches were formed. More than 1,000 came to Christ in the same reporting period. Remember this great harvest is happening in a Buddhist nation that never has been or seen, should I say, such results. Documented reports like these come to us daily from national missionary teams in almost every Asian nation, but I am convinced that these are only the first few drops of revival rain. In order to make the necessary impact, we must send out hundreds of thousands more workers. We are no longer praying the proverbial showers of blessings. Instead, I am believing God for virtual thunderstorms of blessings in the days ahead. I'm reminded of the passage that says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers into the harvest field for the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. The fields are white unto harvest. Let's read on. How I became a part of this astonishing spiritual renewal in Asia is what this book is all about. And it all began with the prayers of a simple village mother. Okay, it's the end of chapter 1 now. We're going to read chapter 2. Oh God, let one of my boys preach, is the title in inverted commas. Achyama's eyes stung with salty tears, but they were not from the cooking fire or the hot spices that wafted up from the pan. She realized time was short. Her six sons were growing beyond her influence. Yet no yet not one showed signs of going into the gospel ministry, except for the youngest, little Johannachan. As I was known as I was known, every one of her children seemed destined for secular work. My mother's my, my brothers seemed content to live and work around our native village in Niranam, Kerala, South India. Oh God, she prayed in despair, let one of my boys preach. Like Hannah and so many other saintly mothers in the Bible, my mother had dedicated her children to the Lord. That morning while preparing breakfast, she vowed to fast secretly until God called one of her sons into his service. Every Friday... For the next three and a half years, she fasted. Her prayer was always the same. But nothing happened. Finally, only I, scrawny and little, the baby of the family, was left. There seemed little chance I would preach. Although I had stood up in an evangelistic meeting at age eight, I was shy and timid and kept my faith mostly to myself. I showed no leadership skills and avoided sports and school functions. I was comfortable on the edge of village and family life. The shadowy figure who moved in and out of the scene almost unnoticed.
Then, when I was 16, my mother's prayers were answered. The visiting gospel team from Operation Mobilization, or OM, which was George Weaver's organization, came to our church to present the challenge of faraway North India. My 90-pound frame strained to catch every word as the team spoke and showed slides of the North. They told of stonings and beatings they received while preaching Christ in the non-Christian villages of Rajasthan and Bihar on the hot, arid plains of North India. Sheltered from contact with the rest of India by the high peaks of the Western Ghats, the lush jungles of Kerala on the Malabar coast were all I knew of my homeland. And the Malabar coast had long nourished India's oldest Christian community, begun with the flourishing sea trade with the Persian Gulf, made it possible for St. Thomas to introduce Jesus Christ at nearby Cranagore in AD 52. And here the budgies are getting excited about St. Thomas's missionary activities. Other Jews already were there, having arrived 200 years earlier. The rest of India seemed an ocean away to the Malayalam-speaking people of the southwest coast. And I was no exception. As the gospel team portrayed the desperately lost condition of the rest of the country, 500,000 villages without a gospel witness. I felt stranger now. I felt a strange sorrow for the lost. That day I vowed to help bring the good news of Jesus Christ to those strange and mysterious states of the north, to, to the north. At the challenge to forsake all and follow Christ, I somewhat rashly took the leap, agreeing to join the student group for a, north, a short summer crusade in unreached parts of North India. Okay, we're going to stop there for today. That was That's the end of our first podcast about KP Johanna. And I just want to pray. Father, we thank you for this story of how KP began his ministry, how you called him, how you, you responded to the prayers of a mother and made her last child a missionary as she'd prayed for. So we thank you, Lord, for that wonderful story of the mother's prayers. And we just pray for ourselves, Lord, and I pray for each listener that you touch us, that we can also speak to others about you, Lord Jesus, and about your love for us and for for the world. In Jesus' name, amen.